everybody, welcome to the Culture Shock Podcast. My name is Steven Adeboye, and I am fortunate to have my special guest here because obviously I have a voice here and I need some expertise in terms of how to use this voice in the most effective way to tell stories, to tell ideas. And when I stumbled upon this person, I knew she would make a perfect guest. So without further ado, I'll allow her to introduce herself. Hi. Um, all right. Well, my name is Sylvie, Sylvie Louie. I am an executive voice accent and communications coach. As you can hear from my accent, it's from North America. I'm originally from Vancouver, Canada, but I moved to the UK, London, about exactly over seven years ago. And, um, and I'm a voice coach and I came here to study voice. And now all I think that I do is really help people with their voices and their communication skills. Awesome. Awesome. And I had to ask the question, like your your backstory. I mean, you weren't from London, you you're from North America, and then you've moved here and now you're training people on how to use their voice for communicative purposes. What's that story like? What's that transition? How how did you get into that field? Well, looking back at everything that I've done, actually everything I've studied falls in line with what I do today, but I didn't know that was where I was going to end up. So I have a BA in speech communications from Canada. I also went into fine and performing arts. And then so I ended up studying acting and discovering voice in a deeper way. And um, with that voice work that I did, I then went a little bit deeper um, into an intensive and really discovered what my voice was. But this is through art. Um, We did a lot of Shakespeare at this time. And once I found my voice through it, which is really about like unleashing some emotions that I just didn't really use in general. And I I didn't know that it was really connected to some of the parts of my voice that didn't show up in my life yet. And once I found that, I found it so interesting that I applied for a master's program. And um, I had an audition in New York. Um, so I flew down to New York, auditioned, and then I made it into the program. So that's what really brought me over to London to study. And then I ended up staying after starting my business <laughs> and meeting my husband too, yes. Hey, congratulations. <laughs> I feel like it's funny when you follow your passions, you kind of find things that align and then suddenly your life takes over. Um, this wasn't part of the plan in terms of you doing what you're doing or I had no idea what my plan was but I think I just kind of went with the flow which is also very different because in my family and like the values inside an Asian family usually they want you to go on a specific type of path but I found that I couldn't do that I did try but I would fail if my heart wasn't in it strange but but anyway it ended up being that way so I ended up doing a master's of fine art in voice at the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama and so there's really only five schools in the world that offer a master's that helps people to understand their voice in a speaking manner and also it's rooted in performance so it is very 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 niche. Nice and it, it so we're talking about voices here, right? And, you know, I have a podcast, you're, you're someone who trains people how to use their voices. Um, I feel a lot of people find voices very empowering in terms of how they want to project themselves, but also they might not find their voice, like you said. Um, we learn voices, you know, from our parents, from our culture, from our environment. And like I think we spoke about it yesterday, it's all these cocktails of, you know, influences that come into who you are as a person. How do you sort of, if you want to improve your voice or if you want to feel like your voice needs to be heard more to other people to sort of communicate ideas, what's some of the limited um, beliefs that people have about their voices that they can overcome? 
Well, you're exactly right, because um, there are so many influences on our voices and we don't really think about how we speak or where our voice comes from. We just kind of do what we do until we gain the self-awareness to. So a lot of the people who come to me a lot of the time, let's just say that the patterns of like the things that they say to themselves is that perhaps that. Well, actually, most people don't like their voice to begin with. Most mm. people don't like seeing themselves when they're recorded. Um, whether it be an audio or video format. Um, and in addition to that, they'll talk about things like, oh, I'm monotonous, but they're actually not monotonous because it would take a lot to sound actually like a robot. But I think also the limiting beliefs is sometimes not just from themselves. It's from feedback or constructive criticism that's been given to them. And a lot of the time, you know, as human beings, we tend to grab onto more of the negative things rather than the positive things. So we start to spin this narrative into ourselves that we start to believe it. So I think even though it didn't maybe come from ourselves to begin with, it becomes our limiting beliefs because someone has said something about our voice, perhaps that um, we're not filling up the room enough. There's not enough presence in our voice or that. Why are you speaking like a little girl? Where's where's the ownership of your full voice? Um, maybe that sometimes we're a little bit more soft spoken and they don't think that we're assertive enough. There are so many different things around that as well. And some people will find that it's pace, it's pitch, it's rhythm in how you speak, especially when we're talking about intercultural environments and where people are international expats having so many different other languages before their working language being English. And so there's just so many different layers that can come into play. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I remember if I'm just going to be a bit more personal in terms of my voice, I mean, when you're shy, you think you're talking and you're talking to yourself. So you're, you're thinking the world can hear you. And then you're like, no, we can't hear you. Can you speak louder. And then <laughs> other times, other times you're, you know, with family and stuff. So you, you know, from a sort of African background, you know, our voices are very loud. So you, we go into some environments and it's like, whoa, turn down the volume. So you start thinking, okay, what do I need to do? So you start code switching, right? Yeah. You start trying to figure out, okay, what's the tone of my voice? Am I speaking too fast? Because I, you know, met people who are internationals and. Yeah. English isn't their first language and sometimes I have to slow my pace down and even to some extent this head key go even deeper because mm. that helps with clarity of your words so your voice is this instrument right and how you use it and you know how loud it is like how do you manage to sort of pick your moments choose your moments and you know make sure that you can be heard effectively well Firstly, something that you brought up that's really interesting is identity, right? Because we can be so many different types of people with so many different environments and the types of people around us. So let's put aside how, what type of voice should we use in these places? Who are we in all of these different settings? If we don't know that about ourselves or deeply enough or to be conscious about it, it's going to mean that you can't make the choices of what you want to do with your voice in the most effective way when you're speaking to whatever type of person or whatever type of people in a group that you're speaking to. So I think the first the first step is always to gain more self-awareness, do a little bit of that deep work to really know who you are and what your voice is. Because if we don't look at that, we don't really know what we're trying to shift or what we're trying to change about our voices. And it might not necessarily mean that you need to make these changes, but it's just so that you're aware enough to know what's actually working, what's being impactful and what is taking away from it, or where could you be more impactful than what is actually happening right now? When we start to figure that out, yes, then we start to look at the voice and see what does it mean for a voice to be impactful? So if we start to unpack that, 
a lot of people might start to think about, ooh, who is a great communicator? Who is someone that has a really amazing voice? And there are usually some really surface qualities that we can pick apart from these people because we don't know them as personal people, like friends, where you really know their personality and that type of thing. And so when you start to look at that and you pick apart these surface qualities, you start to understand, ah, these qualities can exist, but it doesn't mean that I need to aspire to have exactly the same thing as a specific person, because we also still need to find out what that means for it to exist in our own voice, because it might feel different inside our bodies when it's happening than when we're observing and analyzing some other voices. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to have that self-awareness and like you said look at look into others and you know you have great communicators like Barack Obama I mean you know Oprah and great storytellers and in terms of your body how important is that with your voice because I find when you have a relaxed um, body language in terms of you know how you feel sometimes your voice can you know register a bit lower um if you're a bit more tense then it might go higher like how important is it to shift your body to get the voice that you want to project well if you're talking about voice like what you mentioned before voice as an instrument so basically your body is the medium and what happens is that when you think about voice as science you start to think about sound waves right like how does the vibration of sound ring out in the room that is what resonance is well one type of resonance anyway so when that resonance comes out that's great because you can get that maximal vibration for that sound to come out but muscle tension in the body absorbs all that vibration as well. So any type of tightness that we have in our bodies that we may or may not know about is also absorbing that vibration of sound. So if you're trying to project or own the room with your voice or fill up the room with your voice, if there's a lot of tension happening in the body, one, it's coloring how that voice comes out. So if I start to put some jaw tension into my into my basically into my sound, you can start to hear that it's different. You can also start to feel but quite different in your own body as you listen to the sound as I'm holding my jaw and speaking at the same time. Hmm. Because if I'm speaking from here and I'm trying to project on top of it, it completely changes the flow, the feeling inside the body, and it no longer feels very comfortable. So when you're thinking about all these different things, that's exactly how the voice can impact um, an audience in terms of how it's used and all the different qualities that can come into it. Yeah. And I mean, in terms of, like you mentioned, the mechanics of your body and, you know, tension in the vocal cords and stuff like that, that's all part of it. But you said your mindset. So if you can, if you have a mindset that allows you to feel confident in who you are, your body flows through and then becomes more, you know, relaxed or more engaged with the audience to then project the voice. Um, but do you feel like the ideas are also something that's important? Because that's part of the mindset, right? So you yeah. want to feel confident with the ideas you're projecting to the world, whether it's something casual or fun or something that could impact the world, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think it's it comes down to one thing, which is your own commitment and intention to what you're wanting to share, right? Because if you don't believe what you're going to share, you'll know that you're not necessarily saying something that's true and you're thinking that as you're saying it. So that takes away from it as well. Um, and mindset is really key because the more open we can be, the more mistakes we can be and forgive ourselves in that moment so that we can pick up again and adapt and, and change gears. But the more that we're really set on something or that our mindset is more negative about it, then we don't give ourselves the chance to let something change, even in our voice in that moment, because we when we're speaking to people, 
things can change in an instant. Things can change in a millisecond. Whatever type of reactions you're getting off of someone's emotions, whatever that might be. If somebody, if you're presenting and somebody in the audience is looking at their phone, you might take that in to be that, oh, they don't care about enough my presentation that they don't want to pay attention to me. But really, we're actually taking that in, but we don't actually know the full story there. So I think when we have the mindset to be open enough to let everything happen as it is, but we still can focus on ourselves and still kind of drive forward with what we need, that really helps. And to tie it back to what you were talking about in terms of the physicality of the body, there's also one other thing in the posture that's really important. If you think about the vocal anatomy and how it's lined up and how it's supposed to be when you see it in a textbook, that is like the anatomical view of how you would hold your body in the textbook. But when you're looking at our own bodies, we do lots of different things. Sometimes when we're at the computer for too long, we start to slouch, everything starts to collapse down. So you can also start to hear that my voice is kind of sitting in on itself right now versus it being nice and clear. But when I align my body and my spine in a way that helps me to have more efficient voice and efficient breathing, which is a power source of the voice, um, breath is really important so that we can take the breath that we need. It's aligned nicely so that it comes up nice and straight and then it comes straight out of your mouth when you're speaking so that it's just actually nice, clear sound. So yeah, that was something that I forgot to say earlier. <laughs> and I think that's great to kind of loop that back because sometimes you know with social media not social media just technology in general you have your phone like this you're looking down and then you don't have that engagement with people so then when you're now having to present yourself you're in your head and you, your body's trying to figure out what to do you know you're, you're kind of out of your element so you know for someone who's just starting to sort of wanting to put themselves out there you know on a public setting or even a social setting um do you have like a guide of you know, point A to point B, what what are some of your workshops that you do to help your clients? Mm. So I would say that everybody has something that's very, very different that they need to work on, but it all comes down to one thing. I mean, what we mentioned before, commitment, intention, and confidence, all these things need to exist for us to be really, really confident and effective communicators. But when it comes down to, let's just say, in a workshop that I offer, um, I usually do one, a couple, and well, they're kind of like right now because of COVID, they're not at one every month anymore, but I'm just trying to figure it out. But I usually do a full day workshop on a weekend. And basically what we go through is that in the very beginning, we talk a little bit more about theory. How does our voice get impacted with this, this and that? What happens to our body? What's going on in your presentations and kind of sussing that out? Because once you start to get comfortable in the environment in a small supportive group of people, you start to open up a little bit. Then we start to look at what is the structure of how you are speaking in terms of um, how are you aligning all your messages for your audience, actually, or is it for yourself and understanding what your own natural habits and patterns are. Once they start to figure that out and they know how to draft out a really nice structure following with the logic of, that the audience needs and also the story that they need, the right energy and learning all of that. In the second half of the workshop, basically they get thrown into actually doing a presentation that they want to do. They have all the tools and tips to kind of get it together the way that they need to, to try not to overthink it. Once they do that, then it's about really locking it into the body because I think we all know all these different types of workshops that we've done at work, that you learn all this theory. It's so amazing. You write down like pages and pages and pages of notes, but you don't do anything with it. And so the most important thing for me, especially in voice, is that it's a very physical thing. It has to happen. You can't just think about it. If you don't practice it, it's not going to come out because you don't know what it's supposed to feel like. So in those moments where they're presenting, 
we then break it down and look at the feedback, the feedback that people give them. And also the things that I see that people don't see, even though that's the loop of narrative that they get, which is their feedback. When they get that actionable exercise that they do in that moment, and then they apply it to what they're doing again, you then get the second round of feedback that everybody's like, whoa, sometimes it's a physical, like visceral type of reaction that they get. And that's the part that starts to really change things because people know that they can do something different. And sometimes it's like really pushing themselves out of their comfort zone. But it is very, very different. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the whole comfort zone thing is something that we're all trying to sort of push, you know, as, as we get older or as we go through life. Um, and one of them is like, you know, your passions, right? So you're passionate about something. So your excitement shows and your interest shows, your eyes show. But what happens when you're in the work environment where you're like, okay, I had to deliver this presentation because I'm getting paid to do it. Mm-mm. How do you um, kind of captivate that same imagination, that same passion for something that you're not interested in as, as much? A lot of it is down to connection because you're right. It has to be connection to the material, but you also have to be connected to your audience. If you don't care about either thing. It's going to be very, very, very hard for you to want to do it. So you need to find an intention somewhere, even if it's something that you don't want to be doing. What is there a tiny, tiny layer of what you're doing that is actually connected to you that you enjoy maybe scripting something, whether if you're connected to the material or not, you need to find something that attaches you to it so that there's a connection. Because if there's a lack of connection, that means there cannot be any engagement. You're not you're making it very, very hard for your audience to actually want to buy into what you're saying because of that loss of connection. Because if you don't give them a reason to listen, why should they listen? Mm-hmm. And so that's what we need to think from in terms of if I didn't like it, how do I ensure that they don't feel the same way I do? Because that's just a vicious circle of it going around and around in circles. Yeah, yeah. And you, the last thing you want is, I'm not saying anyone from imposter syndrome or just like this idea that you don't believe in what you're saying and stuff. But um, you, you, I think the common thread, at least from my standpoint, is the, the people I'm with. Because mm-hmm. if I'm able to empathize to some degree of like, okay, they're in the same room I'm in. Do they want to be here? Probably not. Do they want to be here? Yeah. Okay. Hello. It's not that I had to cater to everybody, but I had to kind of understand who the audience is, kind of try to make sure that the engagement is participation, right? Because yeah. I don't want to be talking for the sake of talking. It'd be nice to also get some feedback, which then I can hear myself think about, okay, am I reading the room correctly or do I need to shift things? So, yeah, I mean, yeah. does that help as well? Yes, yeah, so important reading the room and also just being able to kind of accept what's happening and 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 being more interactive with them like you say because interaction is so key that's what I do in all my sessions everything that I do is always interactive because nobody really wants to feel like that they're being lectured as well and it's also a really really great way to be able to layer some different learning opportunities for people right because when you give them something they want to put it into practice or maybe they don't know that yet but as a good facilitator as a good moderator as somebody who teaches or coaches or guides or mentors if you don't allow that space for that to happen, it's very hard for them to know how to apply it when they're outside of the meeting with you or if they're outside of that workshop. But if you give all these different types of opportunities, they're, again, practicing because it takes however many hours for you to really master something. So the more that you can kind of get it going, basically you're just building that conscious practice and hopefully slowly over time it becomes unconscious practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, that theory and the idea of, like, what you said, to get people engaged is important. Uh, not controversial, but just something I wanted to sort of pick your brains yeah. on. Um, 
you know, through just understanding my voice. And I remember the first time my voice cracked, <laughs> I was about 12 years old. Um, mm-hmm. It was recorded on and tape. So it was a pub music class. So we were talking and then my voice just cracked and I'm like, oh my gosh, what, the hell, what happened? And then ever since, I've, it's gone deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, but in terms of captivating voices, you know, for different types of people, is it one of those things where, you know, the expectation for a captivating voice has to be this register versus a higher register? Or it doesn't matter. No, because everybody has a different anatomy. So the voice is going to be different in every single body. So it's the same as singing. A lot of people want to sing like a specific person because they like a specific singer. It's the same thing as like liking a specific speaker. But the thing is that your body is different than that speaker or that singer. So it's never going to sound the same. If you're thinking about the oral cavity, you're thinking about the nasal cavity, we're thinking about the chest cavity and how it all resonates and how all these sounds really just come together. And so you cannot aspire to copy someone's voices. You could copy someone's voice, but it doesn't mean that that would actually be your natural, authentic voice. And mm. I think bringing that back to identity, how do we find our voices? Because it's really, really hard. If you don't know who you are, you could still physically find out what your voice actually is. For me, naturally, my voice before was kind of like this, and it was yeah. only up here, and it was only ever up here. So you couldn't hear that bottom quality. But you could also hear that if I'm continuing to speak up here, that there's no lower quality to it. So that if I was really angry at someone, it doesn't really sound like that I'm that angry. But when I start to use this voice down here, that's where the connection to the lower part of my body that I was actually so absent from for about, what, 23, 24 years of then me finding it through finding my voice because I unlocked some emotions that I was holding on to. And that was actually a cultural element for me Mm. and and a lot of that type of thing going on. So when we're talking about how we develop our voices, we have um, a register that you were talking about, the vocal register, and you have top notes, you have bottom notes, but you can also access all of that if you develop your voice. And then it depends on which parts blend together when you're actually using your speaking voice, because you won't be using the high part all the time. You won't be using just the low part all the time. But bringing another layer back into this is that when you think about popular culture in North America, a lot of people and a lot of men who I've spoken to and they've come to me and said all these things is that you often think that they want a lower voice because they want to sound more manly Mm. and women want to have a higher voice because they want to sound a little bit more feminine. But I found that to be kind of strange and different when I moved to the UK because I found that women use more of their full voice more here Mm. than what it was like back home. And the same thing for men. It just seems like it's just a very different culture. So culturally, our ideas and perceptions and expectations of how our voice should be definitely influence us on how we use our voices because the ones that we're surrounded by especially if we don't move around a lot that's likely how we're going to end up speaking and unless you get a step out to kind of see that oh voices can be different but nobody really thinks about their voice in that way do they (laughs) no no it's just you suddenly changed all of a sudden and yeah I think you think oh it's old age or whatever the case is but realistically you go through life experiences you like you said practicing using your voice you hear feedback and then you go, oh, okay, I might change this. Oh, mm. yeah, you don't know. It's all subconsciously, right? Mm. And all of a sudden you have an accent and then all of a sudden people understand it or people don't. And then you're like... Code switching and then you're code switching again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, actually, just on that last bit of code switching, I mean, you've moved from North America, you moved to the UK. How has that, like you said, the differences, right, in voices, it has it been easy for you to understand 
the accents and also do you feel like you yeah. want to improve the way people talk here or you know is it more everyone has a unique voice and I'm still trying to figure out if you know that's well cool. everyone will always have their unique voices but I because I don't have any family that was from the UK before I moved here I had no idea how vast the range of accents were in the UK and um, I, there's this book, it's a really amazing book called You Say Potato. Um, it's by, who's by? Ben and David Crystal, who also wrote, writes a lot of books about Shakespeare, but they mapped out all the different um, accents of Britain. And it's really, really interesting because one of the things that they say in the book is that accents before um, the bicycle was invented, so before things were more transient, people can move around, basically the accents would change every 25 miles. And like back in the day, you would have like um, a phonetician or like somebody who's really good at linguistics and they'll be listening as a detective with the with the police to find out who's done that crime. And they can map it out to this person down the road from the, in this village down the road where that school was. And, and it was kind of crazy just to kind of like be able to see that because where I come from, it's such a melting pot of so many different cultures and there's so many different sounds everywhere mm. um, that. It was just very interesting. I thought that historically is very interesting, but also to a point that there's also a lot of accent prejudice over time, right? And classism and all these different things about different voices. So I think that's a really important thing to note is that we all have to understand that we all sound different, but it doesn't mean one is better, one is less than, but it's just because it's rooted in history that there's all these different ideas. But sometimes when we're born into the culture, it kind of is generational as well, that yeah. it kind of gets passed on. Um, so what I'm here to do is to help people to celebrate their voices, to understand why they sound the way that they do. And if they are, like, let's just say, an international expat coming here and English is a different language and, and people don't understand them. That is the main thing is that in communicating, you want to be understood. So even if you want to shift your accent a little bit, shifting some of the sounds so that they understand the sound because they don't have enough exposure to their languages or their accent, it helps them to empower themselves to know that they can do something other than just slowing it down or going really loud. Yeah. And it's just it's just more empowering, I think, to know that you could do something with it. But it doesn't mean that you have to change your sound 24-7, right? Because you can still speak the same with your friends, with your family. Family. um but in the moments where someone's not understanding you you have a choice awesome awesome i love i love this as you know the closing statement and you know you have a choice to have the voice you have and really work with it and let people know your story your ideas you know your your journey and i think that's an amazing way to sort of cap everything here um where can they find you where you can find me? Oh, yes. um, you can find me at uh, www.voicetraininginlondon.co.uk. My business is called SLVC Voice Training in London. Um, and that's this is where I help people. And um, I am on Instagram as at SLVC Voice Coach. Same on Facebook as well. But do connect with me on LinkedIn because I'm on LinkedIn a lot more. And my name is Sylvie Louie MFAFRSA on there. Awesome, Sylvie. Thank you so much for being a part of this episode. Hopefully my voice, you enjoyed it. You always listen to the episodes, but now that I have a voice coach, she's actually here to actually tell me more about voices. This is somewhat validating to know that my voice is useful to everyone and we all can learn from each other that way. Yeah, I think so. It's been so lovely speaking with you and you have such an incredible voice, such amazing energy and charisma. I'm really looking forward to hearing the rest of your podcast series and um, just thank you so much for having me today. Awesome. Thank you very much, Sylvie.